I'm Melissa Chapel. I'm Sophie Williams. Welcome back to our podcast, Autism by Autistics. I nearly forgot my name then, you know. overload meltdown and burnout so if we start with overload and um, we are going to talk about like the differences between these because i think people often get confused about exactly how it differs so how overload differs from meltdown and so on um, and what they are because i don't think yeah sometimes definitely. like burnout's definitely not talked about much no it really isn't it, and it's something that doesn't even just affect autistic people burnout. It sort yeah. of affects everyone in different ways. But it? like, it's odd. it took me years after diagnosis to sort of actually come across the term burnout. Yeah, me too. And what it does, and it just kind of feels a bit like um, this could have been really useful. <laughs> like, <laughs> four if you years know back. you can prevent, but if you don't, then you're stuck. <laughs> yeah. So if we start by talking about overload. So what overload is? Um, How? I think if we if we both <laughs> try and define it from our own perspective, so we're not going to use official definitions, we're just going to use what it means to us. <laughs> Overload internally feels a bit like a build-up. I am going to explain this properly soon. <laughs> I'll, I'll patiently wait. <laughs> Overload, it's sort of like bits of you just chipping away. And your coping is going down. I think coping's the main thing to focus on with overload. Um, so one thing that I find helpful to talk about, you already know, I've spoken to you about block theory before. Because you don't um, like the spoon theory. No, I'll explain that briefly. <laughs> to the audience, um, there's something called spoon theory, which was came up with by the autistic community. And it's basically that each day you have so many spoons and one task takes up one spoon and that changes per person but at the end of the day if you've got no spoons left then you're more likely to have a meltdown but I prefer block theory which I have to credit my mum for because she uses it in our family um, where it's basically like a Jenga tower of just singular blocks and each thing in your day is going to take up a block um, and that will change between people and between ages so I'll talk about that afterwards um, but basically, say you've got five blocks in a day, each day, that are available coping-wise, so each one is a chunk of your coping. By the time the five are gone, it's not long. It's no longer overload, it's meltdown. And often, it's a lot lower for kids, so I think kids don't cope as well. I don't know if you'd agree. Yeah, I They're think... They're learning more still. I think looking back, I think as well, you're just not as aware of it as well. Yeah, exactly. So your regulations, just, especially for me, like emotional regulation, looking back was abysmal for me. It was bad. And I think even like sensory stuff, you just find ways to deal with it, yeah. which you're still in that learning process when you're younger. The older you get, I feel like the more blocks you've got in general each day. Um, but what takes up those blocks changes quite a lot so if it's a day where you've got like a big appointment that might be like two blocks gone already the start of the day whereas if it's just an ordinary day then you're probably going to start with your full five nothing's going to like immediately take it does it varies even the same tasks like lectures but i know Mm -hmm. myself like different lectures use different blocks 
yeah the more intense stuff is more locked and oh, it's just kind of you can't even pinpoint and it's so specific and some days as you say things take up more blocks mm-hmm. yeah i've sort of got a family of spoon theory because it's sort of stretched to just chronic illnesses in general so like my mum's is yeah uses spoons i just like the the blocks because then it's like it's gonna topple over yeah whereas spoons it also doesn't Yours make, doesn't make sense, more sense actually. like you can fill a block up there's lot, there's so many variations so there's like water bottle theory where if yeah. you let it get too much it's gonna spill over the top it, it yeah there's all different analogies but the overarching point is basically how much coping you've got per day and being very careful to manage that so if you know that talking to somebody in a public sector, for example, is going to take up a block, then do something immediately afterwards that's going to regain that block. So just something to calm down or recharge yourself, ground yourself. Get new blocks. Exactly. Rebuild the tower. And again, that's so personal. So I don't yeah. know what for you, but for me, if a block's gone, it's like, it depends. If it's a sensory thing, then it's like cancel out that sensory issue. Yeah. Or a cup of tea. Cup of tea restores a block. A Coffee. Yeah. <laughs> like, just little things. And I think it's the same for everyone. I think even if you're neurotypical, you have those days where you're just like, I need tea. <laughs> I need this. I need that. You know I what just mine don't is? Bro- no. It's a blueberry muffin and a mocha. That's like my, the day's either gone downhill yeah. or it's a really good day. It's like, my, it's like I'm either having a bad day or a great day when I have a, a mocha and a blueberry muffin. So <laughs> basically overload is all about managing that so it's you've got a build up constantly that you're working against and it's about keeping it on a, a level pain. yeah and I think it's also being aware of how many blocks you've got in a day because I mean like at oh, the yeah. moment we're getting the kitchen redone I've got like half the amount of blocks I usually have mm-hmm. and everything seems to be taking more blocks as well yeah so it's just kind of I know when it's over I say that like I'm not starting lectures when it's over so I'm going to be on reduced blocks for a while, I think. Yeah, I think you will. <laughs> I'll get there. Pumpkin spice lattes will reach out <laughs> yeah. to the block. But the, the if s- I'm shaking from caffeine withdrawal <laughs> around campus, I'm, I'm surprised like, you do it already. It's fine. <laughs> um, what I was going to ask you, what actually, you kind of just mentioned it a bit, is whether you actually keep a close track on it. Because for me... Uh, it's became automatic it's like I used to and I will recommend it to anyone sort of trying to deal with their coping for the first time is to keep a little note of how many blocks you think you've got and then monitor what's taking them up oh, and how they're coming do down this in my bullet journal this Definitely. is like the best thing I think I keep track of it more when it's bad like I sort of am yeah, aware there's do, less blocks you? and then I'll actually also let people around me know I think I sort of snapped at me mum last night like come on no blocks <laughs> I'm out of blocks and everything's taking more blocks and speak to me <laughs> but it's just, yeah I think when it's bad but when it's really good it's just kind of like yay more blocks yeah um, I think it's more important to like manage it when there's less I think the thing is if someone said to me like oh how many do you have on an average day I don't actually know because okay, what I don't no. do is keep a track of how many I think I've got but I'm very conscious of everything that happens I'm like that's stuck coping that's stuck coping and you start to get a feel for what meltdown meltdown overload and then the brewer meltdown yeah is gonna that's feel the like next point jumping ahead tying in for you there you go <laughs> my next point it's not the zone out now so overload i think it's not just it's how do you know you're an overload what yeah does it feel it's like? difficult now for me i've worked out it feels like being tipsy mm-hmm. <laughs> i think that's quite accurate um because say so, so like the way i normally see it in mine is like the last block is like 
once that's gone meltdown. Yeah. So it overloads normally just before you get to that last block. It sort of builds up. There's like, for me, there's definitely stages of overload. Yeah, there is. So like, say you've got like four blocks left and it's like block gone. It's like early stage Mm -hmm. overload. Next block gone. Second stage (laughs) overload. Because the problem is we're always coping. We're always dealing with some degree of overload. Just sometimes it doesn't register. Yeah. Like if people say you seem so put together and I was like, no, there's yeah. like 60 things that are setting me off right now and I'm like at borderline. I've got four blocks left. <laughs> like normally when I leave the house, so say like the weather's okay and it's an ordinary day. Not like today. I'm coping with everything of like noises, movements, you know, any sensory issues or changing routine. I'm coping with it. It just normally doesn't feel much like coping because I'm so used to those little things on an ordinary day. Like today, as you know. Yeah. Today was an overload day. She came um, into the office and just went, I'm this close to a meltdown and I'm like... Yeah, it was like one block away. <laughs> one block, one block away. Because today was basically um, routine prevented in the morning and then lots and lots of glorious wind, <laughs> which no. was just noise and movement. And then Starbucks is closed, so our plan for a pumpkin spice latte just went completely... Um, that was just too many things yeah. to cope with but thankfully like because we were podcasting I have my headphones and my headphones have got active noise cancellation so it's like whatever noise is incoming it just blocks it out and that was the only way I got to the office without having a meltdown which is like headphones yeah. <laughs> so things like that can just give you quick coping back but enough to not yeah. cause a meltdown I think you might say I just had a lazy morning um, <laughs> <laughs> then decided I should probably leave the house <laughs> But yeah, I think there's definitely... I mean, it doesn't even have to be anything active. It's like things that are passive. Like, I know we're going to have a new kitchen. Yeah. I know what everything looks like. But I know there's going to be... It's going to be different. It's going to change. Because my whole life, this kitchen's been the same. That's difficult. (laughs) This kitchen's older than me that's getting gutted. Did you take pictures of your old kitchen, at least? There's various pictures. Okay, that's good. At least you can, like... There's a lot of pictures. It has been a slight focal point. Yeah. <laughs> of of life as the kitchen. I'm I'm glad the table's not going, just a complete side note because that That's nice if you've got something that's like because that table, same. it's got like paint stains on it. Like when my <laughs> grandma would like lift a tablecloth and I'd like paint and draw and play with play doh on it. It's had homework, assignments, coursework done on it. So it's like it's an important table, that table. It's a good Yeah, table. it's when you're something that you're attached to, isn't it? More than yeah. like an appliance or a unit. So when you associate it with the memory, then the change is difficult. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's, there's going to be easier things mm-hmm. about having a new kitchen. It's just the stress and the change and just... That's the thing, change in routine is a huge one. Yeah. Like the bosses hard. have been... Oh, that's been some coping on each day. Stuff yeah. like that in Liverpool currently. It's just there's roadworks. three to four different roadworks and then it's happened over in the world now, so it's like... No. Is it up by you, is it? I think that might be done now, thankfully, but I couldn't get in on Monday. It was just a nightmare. There's been some signs up by me, and it's like the road's going to be closed on this day from this time, so I'm going to be like super early because it's like from 9 a.m. I'm like, oh, they're Fine. not even that decent by us to say, like, well, the thing this is, is what now, it's going to be gone. And I'm like, well, it's still 9 a.m., so I'll just, I'm just going to get up super early and I'll just, I'll be here from like 8 o'clock in the morning. I think it's a bit of a stereotype, isn't it? Like, I don't know if you encountered it, but especially when I was getting diagnosed, people think overload meltdown is purely about routine. And I'm like, it's a big factor because it's something that it's changed and we do struggle with change and it shakes you up a bit. 
Well, it's not just that. It's There's more so sensory, to be honest. If someone yeah. said to me, what's the main cause? It's sensory. Especially because I want to say what it feels like and it feels like being tipsy because the first mm-hmm. thing I find is it's that like slight buzzed feeling like everything's a yeah. little bit out of focus and then certain things feel stronger at the same time. Mm-hmm. So like, like the less blocks you have, the easier it is for the next one to fall. It's harder and this might be a bit of a tangent, but what I think I might have spoke to you about this before. Um, basically I would cope so much like complete blocks available if I could just leave the house every day with headphones on like these kind of headphones where there's noise cancellation but I get so scared about safety yeah because I'm like realistically today's society it's not safe to go out wearing something technology wise like you are at risk then and then it's like if you wear ordinary ear defenders like you're at risk for a different reason because it's showing that you're different yeah See, it's I hard. tend to wear, I think I think what's been really good is there's definitely been more of a movement into over-ear headphones. Mm-hmm. So there's like, if you've got a sort of like inconspicuous ear defenders, it's not as a big thing. True. Unless you want to walk around with the stupid AirPods, which is a massive tangent. What's an AirPod? The seen, Apple the ones. The Apple ones. And it just yeah, looks like you've got these two little things <laughs> hanging out your ears. Like... They're so much easier for someone to grab as well. I feel so anxious. Like I no, just want to like going. flick them out of people's <laughs> ears because it's just like... How is that safe? How did they not fall out? I use in ear like earbud headphones for the same reason yeah. like you say about safety because mm-hmm. I don't like overhead noise cancelling ones because I like as much as it's distressing to be aware of every sound and does yeah. cause overload, I also need to be aware of my surroundings. I went a bit mm. um I lost some hearing with a head cold once and I was in so much distress. My mum just sat down and went, You moan that you can hear everything. And it's a problem for you. <laughs> but now you can't hear anything, that's a problem for you. I think she gave up on me. See, my sound is that hypersensitive that even with the noise cancellation on on this, I can like I could hear the rubbish blowing past me still yeah. when I was walking in. It's not so much a danger that way because I think legally as well they have to yeah, make it so I mean, I can still hear. Stuff. I think I also find them less comfortable. I've got enough to carry in my day-to-day life without having yeah, big headphones. I think that's a problem too. Yeah, I don't want headphone hair. <laughs> the vanity comes out. <laughs> Just it's just easy to have little earbuds. Then it's got to be specific idea. ones as well. It's more that with earbuds you have to listen to music, and if you're already not coping, then that's another thing to yeah factor in. I'm always listening to music. Yeah, I mean it's not an issue for us because we're both obsessed with music, and it's just like we're listening yeah. on repeat. I'm thinking more like if you're not, then yeah, huge issue. It'd be awful. <laughs> I know. <laughs> God, As you go. I think I think we sort of covered like sort of what to do in overload. It's having those things to bring it back but i think what's interesting is what other people can do for you like think, if you're someone that's listening and maybe wants to help someone i think for me like what other people can do i think even the big thing is just making people i'm an overload so don't put more stuff on me yeah definitely. that's the biggest thing like, with the kitchen someone will be like can you do some of this stuff because air coping's gone mm-hmm. mine's like when it's terrible i hate when i came in last night and it's just like no do not give me one more thing just don't so my grandma tried to speak to me and it's just like please no i can't and it's yeah. just kind of saying to other people, just don't right now. You kind of need an advocate in a way, don't you? Yeah. So just be like, no, lay off a bit. He's trying to do it nicely as well to tell people to lay off a bit. Because if I'm like, no, open, I'll just be like, just stop. stop. <laughs> but I think, and then if you know things that bring people back, like mm-hmm. if I know if I'm off day, I'll make you a cup of tea. I'll bring yeah. I'll go. I'll go to coffee shops. You see, I'm I'm probably more in touch of when you're not coping than when I'm not coping because yeah. it's easier to observe than introspect sometimes with things like this yeah i think also i think again because i overload especially like at the moment i know it's gonna take ages for me to get like recognition of things back again 
because I've been in a sort of state of it. Mm-hmm. Just couldn't about the kitchen for this whole podcast. <laughs> this damn kitchen. But it really needs doing this kitchen. But it's just kind of like, because I'm now just, it's become an adaptation of just being with yeah. reduced coping. It's going to be amazing when I've got like 10 blocks, not five. But at the same, but again, it's that thing of it's easier. Mm-hmm. And especially because like, sometimes like we do say to each other like i'm in overload today or like yeah this this and this has happened like it's been a rough morning especially because we both commute in on buses and it'll be like there's yeah. noise on the bus <laughs> it can be so variable of yeah. what you're coping with on the bus i had to change buses today i was just like casually See, that's on the another bus one that's a nightmare. and it just threw me off because i sort of like had my phone up my headphones and like another bag and then i was like trying to like untangle myself <laughs> and then it's like get on the next like get on the bus in front and i'm like why What's wrong with this bus? It's not like I wouldn't mind if it broken down or something. Had it though, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's that's just, the only one. Just me trying to like untangle myself. <laughs> but yeah, I think like the most helpful thing for me was I wasn't all like the reason my mum brought block theory in for the family was I wasn't always aware when I was running out of coping, and she was more in tune with it I think than I was. So she would basically explicitly point out to me you're not coping as well now because that happened and she'd just done that for years of right that things happen factor that in because your coping might be less yeah obviously she didn't always know she was just making a judgment of what might have impacted but just pointing it out helped me to consider that's really good is that why i'm not really coping as well as i normally would i must admit like my mum does sometimes like occasionally pull up me more on mental health but it does link in Mm -hmm. um when it's like i might not be as i don't know just point out like changes in my behavior and be like is everything all right exactly it's good um, to just have someone yeah basically saying sort of, yeah, no, you're not you, yeah if you know those things that are sort of it's also a sign when something's like anxious and like something's yeah. anxiety inducing that's true it's also like when you've got less blocks it's knowing what triggers those less mm-hmm. blocks and that's useful if yeah you can prevent everyone's got different triggers that's what's yeah. difficult it's a problem isn't it <laughs> can't generalize anything and when you're autistic no but then as well, like, I think it, it helps, as you were saying, to be able to say to someone, I'm not coping. Because I know for me as well, my processing speeds will slow to a crawl and not the best today. That's yeah. why I don't sound as coherent. Um, so then it's good to just let people know, like, my brain's not working at full capacity right now. I think as well, like, speaking of processing speed, like, with the kitchen, we were, me and my mum were moving something. You know this. <laughs> and um. When I'm, again, like you, when I'm not coping, my processing speed completely slows yeah. down. And she said, stop to me, it's in stop moving, because, like, I was going to crash into something. Well, that didn't process until after I'd crashed into the thing. <laughs> and it was just kind of like... Laugh. I've been there too. I, it wasn't a bad crash, it was just like, oh, all right. And mum's like, I told you to stop. And I went, look, I'm like four seconds behind. <laughs> so then she said, stop, like, four seconds early. It's helpful, though. People the thing is, I'm moving something with it. someone who I don't think knows I'm autistic. Tomorrow, so I'm going to have to be like, look, say stop four seconds beforehand. <laughs> I think, like, so much is going on this month. Yeah. Every time I speak to someone lately, there's a process in the way. And it's hard because people look at you straight away, like, respond. And I'm like, so it's like, like yeah, it's this there. is going to take a couple of minutes for me to realise what you've just said to me. <laughs> so I just sort of smile and nod, like, okay, I don't know what you just said, but okay. See, I try not to say anything, so a few, you know, you've gone in oh, and jump with an answer and then it's been the wrong answer 
Got and then it's, it's no, it's when they're out of context and it just gets, yeah. See, I found that now though. If I just say okay and then I get a look like, what are you on about? Then I'll yeah. just be like, look, I'm sorry, I'm not processing right now. Yeah, I tend to go with the processing more. Comes back to that wrong assumption though that we're always being rude. Like, I think, like, no, no, it's just taking us time to get there. That's all. It is. So after overload, when the final block falls, yeah, meltdown. meltdown. I mean, I just want to say meltdowns aren't only caused from overload. Like, sometimes it's just... It doesn't always have to be that build Like, sometimes if I just get a ton of information yeah, thrown say, at me at once... I think they're always caused by overload, but it's not always a slow process. Yeah. Sometimes it's, like, something huge has happened in all of that feeling overload and then that reaction and release of just everything. Yeah. You don't always know that you're in overload because it's also rapid. It's yeah. just one straight Like, there's the been... Like, I've been learning to iron this year and it's just been... There's been so many meltdowns over the iron, and, mm-hmm. and it's just because it's so much at once, and it's new. And I'm it took me a few years to get over a fear of the iron. <laughs> There's a lot of misconceptions around a meltdown, though. Like the main one, I think, is probably that it's people tantrum. think we're having a tantrum. Exactly. Because no. I internalize very much when I'm having a meltdown. Mm-hmm. I'm the same as you. It's tears curl up in a ball. Exactly. Lots and lots of tears. <laughs> um, I tend to sort of go to dark enclosed spaces as well. Yeah, me too. It's a thing I do. It's like darkness. Shutting off my ears somehow in any way. Sometimes I have like sensory behaviors where it's like I need something to fiddle with or like yeah. just a cushion to squeeze. Like if you get in that urge, just like for me, I just get seem to want to hide. There's my mum's actually. Oh, I hate that she's got this because like to be fair to my mum, she worked out I was I was a bright kid, um, <laughs> and that wasn't just because they were all meltdowns. Like I did have tantrums as well. I yeah. did very much like my own way and very much didn't like not getting my own way. I've told you about this, but there's a great picture of me and you can tell I've been crying and there's like two pieces of Christmas cake. There's like a small like child-sized piece of Christmas cake mm-hmm. further away from me and then next to me is a larger bit of Christmas cake. So <laughs> you I wanted the larger one. I only used to eat the ice and then like a bit <laughs> of the cake. So like it was, I felt deprived having the only small bit of ice in. This is a good point actually, because I think some of it is just kid behaviour. Yeah. You know, when you're autistic, you do still have tantrums. Just yeah. It's not the same as having a meltdown. Yeah, I'm not having a meltdown with the fact that I've only got a small bit of Christmas cake. It's because I want more Christmas cake. <laughs> um, but then my mum realised that I was also having these, well, what were like tantrums, but I'd be crying for like four hours. Yeah. And it was really yeah, intense and stuff. And luckily she figured out before we even knew. It was one of the first things she kind of realised. And just kind of knew she had to let me cry out. It's like hysteria as well. I don't know if you get the same word. It's not normal crying. It's like hysterical crying for yeah. like hours. <laughs> but yeah, like, I think my family struggled a bit. Because it's hard, I think, especially as a thing in society, isn't there? Like, when you're a female, it's okay to cry and... Yeah. This horrible thing of if you're not a female, it's not okay. And it's like, no, everyone can cry. But I think people are then naturally a bit more accepting of that behaviour. Mm-hmm. But the problem is because it's on such a grand scale, then it was always a bit like, oh, is this mental health? So we need to intervene. What's going on? And it was always like a bit of a panic for everyone around me. And it was how I ended up going in to the doctor. I didn't actually go in and talk about autism because I didn't really know what was going on. Just, I was having meltdowns a lot and it's because I had really bad people around me outside of family and they were taking up my coping all the time. Yeah. So then it's meltdown all the time. And all I knew was like, I'm getting these behaviours that don't make sense. I don't feel like I'm in control, but I'm just upset. But I'm worried about the fact that I feel like I'm not in control and it doesn't seem pleasant for other people. 
Yeah. And so I just sort of went in and was like, oh, I'm having these breakdowns and I can't explain them and I don't know what they are. And I thought it was just like mental health. But it wasn't until then I finally got through to the psychiatrist that they were like, this is a key sign of you being autistic. And I think it probably is the easiest to spot externally in a person. Yeah, it's I think if you sort of like step back and don't just assume someone, especially a child, mm-hmm. they're not having a tantrum and then go, actually, there's more to it than this. It's different. You're not looking for the reaction. Yeah. It doesn't resolve itself. Mm-hmm. Like once what you perceive That's the issue. Thing. That's the thing. Like say, like with the iron stuff, there was a few times I had to just leave the iron and me and finished it off. It didn't stop the meltdown. It continued. No. I just went upstairs and dealt with it. And I think the reason for that is because you've got less blocked afterwards of coping. Like the thing is, sometimes it does restore a bit of your coping. Like... I think we've spoke about this before, is that sometimes you need to get the meltdown out of your system. Yeah, Otherwise, you know, you're not it gonna is like, it's like shaking up a fizzy bottle. Yeah. It is pressurised and mm-hmm. it's not going to go anywhere. And I think it's like, I definitely sort of will avoid having it in public and try yeah. and like delay it till I get home, but then mm-hmm. I'll just release Same. it. And I think, I mean, I've had a few in public. I had a great one at school once. Um, yeah, it's hard in public. Actually. I think it is. I mean, it was all right in the school because it was like mother specialist school. But, mm-hmm. um, I think it proved the point to them that I was having issues. I think public meltdowns, like, it's important if you can, like, it's hard because, again, there's no control. But if you can do everything in your power to hold it in until you get home, or to it's a safer. safe place as yeah. well. Because it's even worries, like, you know, if your behavior seems erratic, are the police going to see you and think, oh no, what's going on there? Yeah. You just don't want to draw any attention that could make the meltdown worse, basically. It's not necessarily going to be someone targeting you. It could be someone trying to protect everyone else around you and thinking it's something it's not. And Yeah, and even if someone tries to help, if it's the wrong type of help, it can be difficult. Yeah. Like, for me, there's Meltdown 101. There's a set mm-hmm. process of what you do. Yeah. Like, for me, I like someone to talk gently to me. Not, like, ask yeah. me questions, but just speak around me because it ground it gives me something to ground mm-hmm. on and focus questions about though but no the minute questions I was like why are you meltdown i was like stop talking to me it's like right now i can't focus to figure <laughs> it out i'll look back and analyze why i'm in meltdown in, exactly. like tomorrow but right now i'm in meltdown i'm not going to respond because i definitely when it's because my meltdowns do go up in intensity mm-hmm. so there are more severe ones where oh I'll, yeah i'll lose definitely it depends I'll, on like Coping again. Yeah, I'll go how non- it's gone. Yeah, I'll go non-verbal. I'll just like lose that ability Same. to like just speak. I was never non-verbal or minimally verbal, and I never had language delays. So then the fact that the minute I'm in meltdown, it's not. It's not that I don't speak. Sometimes I can't get any words out. Usually it's just like if you ask me a question, you're gonna get the same answer on repeat about ten times because it's all I can do, and it's a bit of a stimming thing as well. Yeah. Um, and it's like I mentioned. I think it was last week about um when i was traveling and couldn't get through the ticket barrier because yeah. i just couldn't speak it, it it's like it's really hard and it's a barrier and often like if you're going to be a public and you might have a meltdown plan out where safe places are to go like you know if you can't stop until you get home get to a toilet get to you know like a breakout room if there's a breakout room have somebody around you if you can have someone or even just like on the other end of the phone to talk to yeah that's the thing like i must admit my my poor mother gets quite a few phone calls just contact throughout the day because it's just again it's that grounding thing of someone Mm -hmm. to talk to it helps because it's just reassuring that you're gonna get through whatever's 
caused it as well. But yeah, I did have one experience going back on to the fact that you need a meltdown sometimes. Yeah. Where I was in the hospital, so obviously instantly overwhelming, but it was also a really scary time of like stuff they were investigating. And I think it was, I had, oh yeah, it was a CT scan. And CT scans aren't that bad when you've had an MRI, but they're still bad. So when people are like, oh, it's okay. It's like, no, no, no. It's a nasty machine. I fidget a lot. I'm terrified of needing to have a scan. I'm not claustrophobic. It's the fact I can't stay still. Well, this was my kidneys as well. So then they inject the dye. And the doctor was lovely. was like, you know, you're really going to feel like you need to go to the toilet. And don't worry, it's not going to happen where it is. It's like... You know, when you're desperate for the toilet, but it, you're not really needing to go. It's I mean, a horrendous you know what I'm like. I'm, I'm that person that's like constantly needs the toilet. <laughs> so, of course, that like, would break me. <laughs> I came out of it and was just like, couldn't speak. Eyes well enough. I think I did just sit there and cry. And my mum was with me and she just sensed meltdowns coming. Like, yeah. this is overload, meltdowns coming. And she managed to ground me enough by talking to me and like getting me food and distracting me that the meltdown didn't happen and it was more because again we were in a hospital set and then it's people are gonna panic <laughs> people are gonna be like why yeah, is someone this people upset? panic in a hospital is like a natural state of being so there i was glad that she got me out of that situation but then it it was all that build up all the coping was still taken up the next day and i had then like an event to go to and all the blocks were gone because meltdown hadn't happened mm. to recharge. It's hard because like, at the same time, as much as having the meltdown restores your coping. It's still not fun. It doesn't restore it to zero. No. So like, you need to have it, otherwise your coping it is not coming back. Yeah, I mean... And it'll just roll over to like the next day or the next event. Yeah. But at the same time, sometimes you need to sleep it off afterwards. Because... There. After I've had a meltdown, it's more likely it's like an earthquake. <laughs> there's another one due if anything else happens. Yeah, I there's such an exhausting process because it's just it feels like just I like the term meltdown because it does feel like a nuclear meltdown. It just it feels does. like every single system just dies. But it's hard. Like there's been times I've had the meltdown, but coping back. But then like someone who I see in that day then doesn't understand the process mm. and piles more on and then you're back up to meltdown and then it's worse because it's your second one it's like oh that's God. the thing it builds up and it's about regaining enough coping mm. I mean I'm trying to think I had a meltdown so bad this year it put me into shutdown afterwards you just take so much out of you as well just mentally yeah. and that has an impact it's hard because like, people do get mixed up like when you say you're autistic it's like oh have you got a mental health condition it's like no I mean, yes, Neurological. But... <laughs> yeah, like, they're comorbid. It's not autism, it's like, that's a mental health thing. It's like, yes, I know, I have additional things, but autism is not. Autism just me. The thing is, like... Depression and anxiety just sprinkles on the top. The confusing thing is that I interact, so... Yeah. Your mental health conditions will change by the fact that you're autistic. And parts about being autistic, like meltdown, can cause mental health. So, like, a particularly bad meltdown... I think especially it comes back to the public risk is you can feel so much shame and then there's a lot of depression around that and anxiety. Oh, there's so much anxiety. Even overload, to be honest, can just make you feel depressed about how you've come across to someone or things like that. But um, I think that's the thing as well. It's like when you get anxious, especially about Mm -hmm. having them in public, it is so anxious. And then you'll see something about stigma. There'll be something that happens recently. Even, Even if it's not about autism, even if it's like a hate crime of any type, Mm-hmm. That makes you more anxious about it, and that makes you have less coping and more like to go into it. It's this really awful, vicious cycle, yeah. and it's horrible. Because when I'm in overload, like, there's no proper 
I can't give proper responses in like mm-hmm. conversation. Yeah. And then I get mixed up with what I'm saying or like my processing stopped. And then it's like anxiety of, oh no, that person wouldn't understand that. And, you know, I've maybe just give bare minimum responses to everything they've asked or I've responded to a different question. And then it's isolated. Yeah, exactly. And, and you're like, depression. I don't want them to dislike me. <laughs> and I think that comes back into socialisation. Like me yeah. and I was super honest about if it's a bad day and it's just exactly. kind of like, I mean, we don't take, I mean, I wouldn't pick up if you said anything that was too wrong anyway, really. No. So I think it's like, we don't we judge just each laugh. other anyway. <laughs> yeah, we just, we just laugh. It's a laugh or cry. Um, but like, when I know like one of us isn't coping, again it's even less of a mm-hmm. risk so it's that sort of i think that's why i've also found it easy to be friends with people with mental health mm-hmm. because again there's also that understanding of like when things aren't good things change i've not seen it yet so i can't fully recommend it but is it richard and jacko is it called the documentary and it's the dad with his son i've not seen it you recommended it your mum told me yeah to, you told you to tell me it to like everyone <laughs> i saw no, someone I else recommending it. it that's another thing to the watch list but what was interesting was my mum was like trying to get me into it like look how good it is and she's showing me an <laughs> your mum enforced it on you <laughs> yeah basically um she was showing me an interview on youtube between like i think his name is richard richard and jacko um the interviewer um and i think jacko is his son i'm not 100 sure i've not seen it you're looking at me like i've seen it <laughs> Hoping you've I've, seen it on Twitter. I've been binging but Carnival let, Row. <laughs> let's assume I'm right in the sun's Jacko. He's getting I'll quite Google o- this, right? He's getting quite overwhelmed because there's studio lighting and they're asking him a lot of questions. And obviously he's on TV, he's gotta have a certain level of coping. And you can see that he's not processing like at full capacity. So when they're asking him a question sometimes he's responding to the previous question yeah and that's what it's like when you get to that point of overload where yeah. processing slows down it's like if you're asking me stuff in rapid succession i've not had a chance to finish i'm still responding to what you said like 10 minutes ago and then it's not going to be coherent it is this song okay that makes me feel better I'm not we, we have accurate fact-checked information of this podcast <laughs> but yeah sit into burnout and also shutdown mm-hmm. which is definitely an unthought about thing but yes yeah, so i don't really get shut down. Shutdown's quite a rare thing for me. It's a reaction to a meltdown, but it's not always. It comes back to what you said about the different scales of meltdown. Yeah. I think if it's my second meltdown in a day, or if it's just something huge, or if the mental health factor's in there and I'm just feeling absolutely depressed or ashamed or whichever, then I need to shut off completely. So that's like no lights in the room, no sound on, just like no processing, basically. Um, it's really difficult for people around me to understand because sometimes they won't realise if I've not been able to say I'm in shutdown and then all they can get out of me if they're lucky is like yeah no yeah and then it's like why are you doing this like what's going on it's very much like you're just switched off it's like pa- it's just powering down and I think for me as well what's also this one quite relieved that I'm going to shut down often and to me shut down's scarier than a meltdown because it's so yeah. rare for me it but when rude. it happens it's like my emotion shut off i'll just go i don't mm-hmm. know if it links into being having a history with depression i'll just shut off into nothing yeah it's like and, numbness. and it lasts a few days for me well it's being proven to be unhealthy because of the mental health yeah fact. like it's really bad to be in so it like i had a meltdown which was really bad there was like an issue with uni and like 
a system went down and it had like quite catastrophic like effects for like everyone and just I went straight into just one of the worst meltdowns I've had and then it went into shutdown and I think Mm -hmm. it was about four days later like systems came back on and that was like emotions I just felt like just numb Mm -hmm. for four days which was great because I wasn't dealing with it but then it's also the worry about when it comes back and then that's really scary yeah that is the scary bit because sometimes it's protective like it's you're at not, the time you're not it coping is. with anything exactly yeah, like but then it, it's definitely gonna come back and be something you've got to contend with but it can help like say if you've got to go outside and you're in shutdown sometimes it's just like literally shutting off your senses but you're also not going to be able to get much done so it's yeah i also sort of just balance. lose i just kind of it's it's so scary for me because it just does not happen like to be honest it's happened maybe five times in my life it's mm-hmm. just so rare for me i get it quite often not all the time though yeah it's just when it's bad meltdown but, but... for me it's just even with a bad meltdown it mm-hmm. tends to be exhaustion not shut down so again it's like super scary mm-hmm. but i think it is that sort of when the emotions when everything turns back on what is the damage mm-hmm. i mean i don't usually find that there's damage after it it's just that i've then got to go back and deal with the original problem yeah which is just so stressful again it's for me it's more that i go into burnout afterwards mm-hmm. so it's like shut down get out of that burnout so it's a longer recovery process yeah like i think because for me shut down it does last days when i get mm-hmm. it it's bad so i think there is always and then there's a build-up of things that have still happened and it's like they've processed but I've not acknowledged that they have mm-hmm. so I'll come back and then I'm hit with everything and it's just like oh gosh, yeah, so it's, it's not difficult. it's really not fun but burnout burnout's just awful because it's that just intense feeling of exhaustion and I don't sleep well anyway burnout's a funny one because I think it's worse after a meltdown but yeah it can happen at any stage of this process like you can get burnout before overload during after during it meltdown. It can just happen with anything and it, I think it's not even an autistic thing it's like a people thing anything and it just kind of feels like as you say severe exhaustion like you're fighting against that exhaustion and processing is usually always low and it's just not really knowing why you can't function at full capacity. I think that's where, like, looking back, it was scary because I'd definitely been in burnout for, like, a good two years. Mm-hmm. And then I had the breakdown of depression and all that. And it's just, it I wish... For ages, that's the it? thing, it went on for ages. And it's just looking back, the, just the general existence and struggling with so many things, being autistic and just the world not mm-hmm. being, you know, my sort of helpful world. And just the impact that it had and just the like the effect of that and then it did lead into the ration is yeah. definitely one of the causal factors for it for me. I think burnout's probably where you do get more mental health definitely. difficulties because it's not like right, the meltdown's done or the overload's done, now I can just recharge. It's just constant. It's like that constant, I feel rubbish. I don't know why my life's like this and you just start to spiral and yeah. you I think especially not knowing, but like now when I'm in burnout, it doesn't have the same effects even if it's been quite a while. Mm-hmm. Because I know what it is, I'm aware of the issue. Yeah. And even as I said after I was first diagnosed, I still wasn't aware of the mm-hmm. issue and it was still going on and it was still being detrimental. I think this is where it helps to be autistic because neurotypicals get burnout, but I think they struggle with it a bit more, like because we're so focused on our coping and like block theory. Because we have to theory. be. I think this is. It's the like thing. right. I'm in burnout. Let's look at what I can do to regain blocks or spoons or whichever you prefer, and then it's like plan of action, <laughs> and it's usually like all systems on board. So anyone you're then around, it's. I swear, if the wind's picked up on this. Is that the wind that I can hear? That's ridiculous. I think it is. 
And it was me saying to you earlier, the wind's not that bad. <laughs> yeah, no coping when I get home, I think. <laughs> I think we'll both yeah. just get in and be like, coping, gone. Yeah. This uh, is difficult though, like, it does impact your everyday needs and what you've got to do. Yeah. Like, I tried to get the bulk of my work done before I got out, so then it's like, if the wind damages me, at least some stuff's done. Yeah, and I think, like, for me, it was like, get to the office to do the work. Mm-hmm. Because home is not a work environment so, currently. Yeah, that's a hard part. Like, normally I do prefer that way of, like, getting there and do it. But it was a case of, right, you needed the wind is clearly not going well. And that's going to drastically reduce coping. Then I'm not going to have the processing or the headspace to get the work I need to do done. And the work that I have to do for, like, my PhD. I'm quite lucky where my topic like psychology yeah. in general but especially autism it's a special interest so it helps if i'm in burnout that's giving me some coping back it's a happy time it's a focused time i might not be able to give it as much focus as normal but it's you definitely getting my it. focus because i'm happy with it it's restoring that and i think it's hard because like there are some adaptations i have to make i can work from home as a researcher and although like if I've got a lecture to give or something like a meeting I do have to come in but that's fine I can manage that and then go back home and work having that capacity to work from home when burnout or overloads it it just makes it a lot better because you're getting more done than you would if you just tried to work through it in a public place. I think that's what's really good because like we have lecture capture here at University of Liverpool so your lectures Mm -hmm. have to be recorded it's actually like a rule here um there's like a few reasons why I can't um so I know I can go and catch up and that makes a huge difference because mm-hmm. I know if I force myself through burnout, overload, whatever, and sit in a two-hour heavy processing lecture, yeah, it's, it's, not just, it's just not going to happen. And I've said that to people and they've been like, oh, I've only just woken up. I'm like, well, don't push yourself in because if you're not going to learn, there's no point. Yeah. And that's the truth of it. As much as they're, like, you should attend your lectures, yeah, but you should also attend them when you're going to learn. It's different being on the other side of it though. Like, yeah. I just feel more comfortable in academia because Definitely. if I've got to give a lecture... Again, it's interesting. I enjoy it. Yeah, because like, you're lecturing. It's your fun. Stuff. It's nice. No, even when I'm not, like, even when I was asked to do, like, oh, yeah, cause biological you, you psych and stuff, then when you did it's just everything. so fun to teach and feel like you're giving something back. I think that's where it helps so that having what you enjoy. Coping. Exactly. Like, if I was doing something that wasn't in the special interest category. Retail. <laughs> See, thankfully, there's a lot you can do. Like, there's even data stuff that ties into academia that will be still fun. It's just... Yeah, I'm yeah, definitely... things like retail just don't help. The less people, the better, really. <laughs> like, even lectures, you're not interacting with anyone, so it's still fine. Yeah, even if you're, like, giving a lecture to, like, hundreds of students, and it's okay because they're not all, like, shouting at you at once. Like, they're going to talk to you at the end. It's they're fine. They're not listening. <laughs> varies but it does vary so to finish up um thinking about how people can try and prevent this we have spoken about little things like personal things that you can do to regain coping but just keep it on top of it basically i think the main thing is being aware of it Mm -hmm. you've got to be aware it's just and what triggers it because i think sometimes that's what took me the longest to really yeah. get a grip on of what was triggering it. Because you can't like do a Google search, what's going to trigger overload meltdown. No, you have it's to know so individual. Because like even me and you, we sort of know what triggers and it's mm-hmm. different. A lot of it's learning by experience, which is hard. Trial by fire. Trial yeah. by fire. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
really difficult because it's when, it's when you don't want to go through it and find out what's going to cause a meltdown, but it's just the way it is. But again, like if you're going to introduce something new and watch for that reaction, it's probably best to do that when you've got nothing else to cope with. Yeah. So like when you're just a day at home or like doing yeah. your normal routine where you don't have to like go to the doctors or the dentist, you know, keep it as yeah. minimal as possible. Don't put if new you're things. Introducing something yeah, new. it's like there's definitely at the moment it's like there's been a lot less pressure upon me. So yeah, basically routines for me aren't helpful. Um, I can have them when I need to, but when it's like the weekend, I think is the best example yeah. to use. The weekend's better for me not to have the same routine because then if it goes wrong, it's more of a problem yeah. for me. But the thing from that then is that when I feel like, right, I've got a lot to cope with and there's nothing I can do about it, is like keep everything predictable. So like eat the same food every day or eat like foods that aren't as sensory and maybe like constantly listen to my favorite music just things that I know are gonna feel like right this is my control over the environment and then the stuff I can't control what's not helping me to cope is at least a bit more manageable yeah I think I was just about like sort of bringing a point about control and it's just control what you can when you Mm -hmm. can't it's like sort of grounding yourself and that's where like special interests come in and sensory Mm -hmm. it's where it's like I'll rewatch the same stuff. Exactly. I'll like, like, it's just about keeping things as shape predictable and controlled, mm-hmm. and it's just kind of feels nice. So. It's just, it's just when everything feels like it's spiraling out of control because that's what it can feel like, especially when like just it's a sort of constant overload, burnout, or whatever. It does everything spiraling mm-hmm. out of control. And it's just nice to get something back, even if it's just one or two things. Yeah. So next week we're going to talk about sensory, sensory which are so hypersensitivities and hyposensitivities, which we'll explain next. We week. will explain <laughs> mainly because I'll have to double check which way round it is. I can cover it with you. It's fine. It's fine. it's fine. Yeah, which means that this podcast, right? Which, which way is it? <laughs> I just like you know, I don't claim to know what I'm doing all the time. It's fine. These things are easy to forget. But I think, as long as we know what we're talking about personally, I'm ex- it's yeah, fine. Yeah, I'm excited about sensory because it is the biggest impact in mm-hmm. good and bad ways. So. Yeah. And it all links into this, because when happy sensory things happen, it helps. Yeah. So thank you for listening. Yes, we will see you next week.